Happy Friday, everybody. Today on Locked On Vikings, I want to take you to a place in the 90s that everybody who was an adult watching football in the 90s was, and it seems like like the craziest time. I was a little too young to remember, so I want to go there with you. It's the QB Carousel. Welcome to Locked On Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. Today on the show, I want to go back to the 90s and talk about the QB carousel of the, of the Denny Green era. Because there are three people in particular that we get between Rich Gannon, who was who Denny Green inherited when he took over in 92, and Dante Culpepper, um, who was, of course, the last quarterback that uh, Denny Green had, and he mostly quarterbacked the uh, Mike Tice era. Between that, there was this carousel of dudes, and there's three of them I want to talk to you about in particular, so that's what we're going to do today. The one I'm not going to talk about today is Brad Johnson. We'll get to him another day, don't worry about it. It's just that I want to talk about these three, because they are all such unique figures in the NFL, you know, in the lore of the NFL. And to have them all have a cup of coffee with the Vikings over a decade and make random wildcard games just had to be the weirdest thing to watch in the world. Um, You know, kind of reminds me of, in my own time, you know, like, oh, the one random Sam Bradford year, how random was that? It was like all random years. That's kind of what that era is, like, known for. But the first one is the guy that came in right after Rich Gannon, and that is Jim McMahon. Jim McMahon is one of the more vulgar, I guess, characters to ever come into the NFL, and most of these stories come from before his time on the Vikings, but this is what the Vikings and Denny Green were buying into. Um, you know, he, the the most famous story, one of the most famous stories, um, came in practice leading up to the 85 Super Bowl, and he was on the practice field, and there was a media helicopter circling overhead, and he bends over, and he pulls his pants down, and he moons them, and he says, I just wanted to show him where it hurt. Which is just like, why? why? But he got in a whole bunch of trouble for that, right? This was this was 85. That kind of thing wasn't funny. Um, it was like, you know, very unprofessional and uncouth. My goodness, he pulled his pants down at work. Like, imagine if you did that, right? So everybody kind of really didn't like that. But he was this like rebellious guy that, you know, when you told him, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. It's, you know, not proper etiquette. He would do it twice as hard. Um, he would wear headbands, probably imagine Jim McMahon in a headband because when I envision Jim McMahon I envision him from like the Super Bowl shuffle and I'm pretty sure he wore headbands all through that um but he was uh he wore a, an Adidas headband but they didn't he got fined for that it was like improper wardrobe or whatever maybe it had something to do with the logo and um he got fined by Pete Rozelle, was commissioner at the time and he comes to practice the next day and he has a headband with Roselle scrawled atop the, across the top of it. And then he comes to practice the next day, 
um, after getting fined for that with a headband that says acupuncture on it. And that was because he was mad at the Bears for not flying in an acupuncture specialist to help him with a bruise he had suffered in the NFC Championship. This was who Jim McMahon was. Um, After his time on the Bears, which I kind of equate him a little bit with, like, if Tommy Kramer won a Super Bowl on the Vikings that was mostly carried by defense. Um, like, he was a good quarterback, and so was Tommy Kramer, but with both of them, injuries kind of made it so that they weren't really uh, able to to realize all of who they could be. And then at the end of Jim McMahon's career, he became something of a journeyman, spent a couple years in San Diego, blew his nose on a reporter once because he didn't like the question that he asked, which they reunited like decades later and the reporter hands him a handkerchief you know it's all fun and games now but at the time again it was like he was like this trophy he was a super villain of the league and he was injured and he was old by the time he came to the vikings denny green didn't care he said you know i am in the business of coaching football he's in the business of playing football whatever else he does couldn't care less if he scores me touchdowns they all count the same and and that was really a lot of that denny green team was made of people who in other circumstances, didn't get a chance. You know, we talked about Chris Carter earlier in the week, and that was a big one. You know, um, John Randall got his big chance when Denny Green moved, and he'd been with the team a couple of years, but he was a backup, a rotational player, and Denny Green made him a starter. And so Jim McMahon joining the Vikings is, like, not that surprising of a thing. Um, but he had his one year. He also couldn't stay healthy, dislocated his shoulder in the middle of the year, and Sean Salisbury had to play a bunch of games, which I think they went like four and or one and four in games that Sean Salisbury played, but they still did um, manage to sneak into the playoffs as a wild card that year, and they went into the Meadowlands and lost to the Giants, and this was, of course, a thing with Denny Green that, you know, he always kind of lost in the playoffs, but after the Jim McMahon era, came the Warren Moon era, which I'm very excited to talk to you about. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about Dave. Dave is an app at the App Store that can help you out if you're in something of a financial pinch. Look, we've all been there. We need a few extra bucks to kind of paper things over before the next paycheck comes in, that kind of thing. And uh, whether you're trying to get a wedding gift that you can't afford, or you just need to put a couple gallons of gas in the tank just to get through today or something like that, Dave is here for you. It's a banking app and it can help you get $500 instantly with extra cash. You can tackle all those expenses and here's the deal. No interest, no credit check. They're not praying on you like that. So if you're in a pinch, you need some extra help, download the Dave app and think of it as a helping hand from future you. You're just borrowing against the future, but it's, you know, kind of like, kind of like converting salary into signing bonus, but with your own banking. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve, member FDIC. Future you will thank you. Thanks so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day. Now we're talking about Warren Moon. 94 to 96, that was the Warren Moon era. Warren Moon is such a larger-than-life figure in NFL history, and most people probably don't envision him as a Viking. They probably envision him as, as a Houston Oiler. But Warren Moon's impact came in a bunch of ways. A, he was kind of a trailblazer for black quarterbacks, one of the first true superstar black quarterbacks in the history of the league. Um, and then there's also um, that he was he ran the run and shoot for a long time. 
in Houston. Now, if you don't know what the run and shoot was, it's not unlike option offenses we see now, like a lot of the stuff we see in college, where you'd line up, it'd be like four wide receivers, um, and maybe a running back, maybe a tight end, but you basically were kind of eschewing a lot of the run game. So it's, again, it looks a lot like what we run now, um, but it was all option routes. It was all about like choice routes where, you know, if, if he's got inside leverage, you go outside. If he's got, he's got outside leverage, you go inside and the quarterback makes the same read as the wide receiver and the guy should always be open. So it made you defend really every single blade of grass. If he goes inside, you got to be able to get him. If he goes outside, you got to be able to get him. And so in the eighties, when this started to get more popular zone defenses, which were a little bit better at um, handling this were also um, got a little bit more popular. And one of the most famous run and shoots, the Oilers weren't the first, I don't even know if they were the best, but they were certainly the team that like, when I think of the run and shoot, I think of the 1980s Houston Oilers. And they were helmed by Warren Moon. But again, black quarterback. And you know, we've heard it for decades. And Warren Moon was one of the first. They wanted him to move to safety. He was Rose Bowl MVP in 1978. And people looking at him as a scout said, but can this kid move to safety? I don't know if he has the smarts to be a quarterback. Which is, you know, obviously with the, the dog whistles are a little more subtle nowadays, but that was the situation facing Warren Moon. He was, you know, it's, it's a thinking man's position and, you know, the, the black athlete was a little bit less likely to be considered apt enough for the thinking man's position. Obviously, this was insane and wrong, uh, but the stigma was there anyways. But Warren Moon refused. They said, you know, hey, if you're going to make me move to safety, I don't want any part of it. Don't draft me. And uh, sure enough, he ends up with the Oilers. They have him play quarterback, and everybody that thought he had to move to safety looks kind of silly now that he's putting on his gold jacket. Um, but when he came to Minnesota, it was another kind of thing where, well, you know, now it's, he's a guy, well, he's a runaround quarterback, and he's lost all his talent because he was super old by then, and he'd been through injuries and stuff. And, um, you know, does he still have his talent, or is he old, or is he washed up, or any of that stuff? Um, and once again, Denny Green didn't care about any of that and so Warren Moon came and now you've got like a future Hall of Famer at quarterback it feels a lot like thinking about being a fan in the summer of 94 Warren Moon has joined you've got um I'm pretty sure they had uh still had Sean Salisbury there but eventually Warren Moon is you know becomes starting quarterback and they are electric in 94 they win the division in 94 they host the bears at home in the playoffs in 94 and then they lose 18 to 35 in that game and that's actually that was the first time a uh, the vikings played a playoff game against an nfc north opponent um and they'd only do it two other times the uh the the randy moss moon game in lambeau and then the 2012 game in lambeau the the joe webb game those are the only divisional playoffs uh, which is kind of interesting, you know, it feels like you see the, the Ravens and Steelers have a whole bunch, or the Steelers play divisional playoff games all the time, it feels like, and, you know, NFC East plays each other all the time, it feels like, but I digress, um, just a I, I quirk of luck, right? But the Warren Moon era was probably disappointing compared to the hype you had, you know, you had an emerging Jake Reed next to Chris Carter in his prime, Hall of Fame quarterback, Robert Smith was kind of, maybe people blamed it on, he was like injured a lot for the first few years of his career, he was drafted in 93, and he didn't really come on to like the late 90s, and then like 2000 was his big year, and then he retired, but, um, you know, you have like 
there's a lot going for this team. You have John Randall and Henry Thomas, and you've got, um, you know, Ed McDaniel and, and Jack Del Rio are linebackers, and everybody's pretty happy with them. And they got this really cool O-line with, um, you know, Ed uh, Randall McDaniel on it. Like, it's it's a very cool team. And for the entire three-year era to make the playoffs twice and lose in the first round both times by more than 25 points, they, they missed the playoffs in 95, and then 96, they go to the wild card uh, and lose against the Cowboys 15 to 40. Um, that That's very disappointing, but it ushers in the next era, which was far less disappointing because welcome to Randall Cunningham. We'll talk about him next, uh, but first let me talk to you about a good old gramble. Did you know you can bet on any game this season? I'm pretty sure you can bet on Browns games now that Baker Mayfield's been traded, although probably no. No, not until the uh, Deshaun Watson stuff comes out, but, but Panthers lines have moved a bunch, so you could, should go check that out, or you can just bet on week one against the Packers, or win totals for the Vikings, will they make the playoffs, where will they finish in the division, all that kind of stuff, or you can bet on other sports, uh, WNBA, MLB, um, MMA stuff, golf, tennis, you know, Wimbledon's going on right now, whatever you can find, go to betonline.net, you can do player props, you can bet right in the middle of a game or a match, um, whatever you find, you can bet at betonline.net, where the game starts. If I came up to you on the street and I said something like, quick, name your favorite 90s quarterback, or name any 90s quarterback for the Vikings, um, most of your answers would probably be something like Randall Cunningham. Um, maybe you would say Warren Moon, maybe you'd say some hipster like Sean Salisbury, um, but that's kind of why I'm, I'm like skipping Brad Johnson, but don't worry, we'll talk about Brad Johnson another time. Um, but that's where I think people remember the Vikings of the 90s. They think in 97 and 98. Cunningham didn't play a lot in 97, and 98 was really the, the season of his. Um, but of course, if you think of Randall Cunningham, a lot of people might think of him as a Viking just because of him being the quarterback of that 98 team, and everybody knows that 98 team, but a lot of people think of him as an eagle, where he did most of his playing, and, you know, Randall Cunningham was, again, it, kind of experienced a lot of the same things Warren Moon did as, like, a black quarterback in the 90s, um, where, you know, he was a little too flashy, you know, and people didn't like that, and he was a talker, and people didn't like that, and people thought it was a head case, or he was a distraction, or whatever, you know, whatever... PC word for really what they're saying you want to use, but either way, Randall Cunningham's reputation had a lot more to do with his personality and, and his boisterousness than it did with his actual play on the field, which was awesome. And in Philly, he really had to make all the plays. You know, you look at those Philadelphia Eagles teams, and they kind of lived and died by Randall Cunningham. They didn't have Randy Mosses and Chris Carters and stuff that could be, you know, the real playmakers, and Randall Cunningham just has to play point guard. Um, you know, he was... It was it was as far as a team could go, could on the back of of Randall Cunningham. That's as far as the Eagles would go those years. Um, but I wonder, and I don't have a source for this, and I'm speculating here, and it's my show. I'll do what I want. <laughs> but I wonder if Randall Cunningham's union advocacy had anything to do with just how much vitriol he got over the years especially during his exit from Philly. And, you know, Philly fan base isn't going to be nice to somebody they don't like ever. Um, but I, I wonder how much that fed into it. Randall Cunningham was sort of a ringleader in uh, 1987 during the strike for the Eagles. Um, and they stayed very unified, and he was out there picketing all the time, and he was kind of a 
a main figure, a, a leading figure during the 87 strike. Um, there's a great video on it on John Boyce's YouTube channel called Randall Cunningham Seizes the Means of Production. So go look that up if you haven't seen it before, but it's, it's great. But when he comes to Minnesota, A, he had retired. He sort of was... The, the league was sick of him, I guess. You know, the media was sick of him. And he was older, and people didn't know if he could play anymore. And he ran into Denny Green, I want to say at the Super Bowl, which it would not be the last time that a chance meeting at the Super Bowl would just determine who the Vikings quarterback would be, see Cousins Kirk. Um, but he ran into Denny Green at the Super Bowl. And he had retired, or he was... I think it was one of those Tom Brady-ish things where he had kind of retired, but kind of not. And Denny Green said, hey, you know, you're coming back to play next year. And he says, oh, maybe I'll think about it. And then he says, well, you want to come play for the Vikings. This was uh, the the 96, after the 96 season. And he actually got Randall Cunningham to to come in. Now, Randall Cunningham still had a cannon of an arm, still had plenty of runaround ability, not what he used to be, but um, plenty of that. And he decided to come back. And that was 97 to, you know, come back, back up Brad Johnson, you know, bring the kid along. This is Brad Johnson when he was young. And 97 was an awesome year. Kind of a story for another day, because I want to do that justice. Um, but a year where Denny finally won a playoff game. To that point, Denny Green was like 0-4 in the playoffs. It was like a Marvin Lewis kind of thing. Like, can he win a playoff game? And he finally wins one. Um, and he was honestly like on the hot seat over it. And he, it was a really cool comeback. Uh, Tyler Fornes wrote an article about it. Um, sometime, some time ago, if you want to look that up, but, um, that was 97 and then 98 and it wasn't long. I want to say Brad Johnson started 98 again. Um, I'd have to look up like the first couple weeks, but I mean, Randall Cunningham was the quarterback for most of that. Right. And then he didn't have to be the guy that made all the plays, you know, he just had to dish it out to Randy Moss and, uh, Chris Carter. And, you know, Randy Moss comes in in 98 and his whole thing is, you know, you can't overthrow me because he's just so damn fast. And, you know, all of the other athletic talents he has. But that was a big thing with, with Cunningham was you can't overthrow me. And Cunningham, bomb arm that he has, suddenly all of those yards were in play. And Randy Moss could just dust you off the release, beat you at any point in the route, and somehow be open, you know, 30 yards downfield. Or just beat you at the catch point with insanely late hands and late eyes, you know. Beat you in any of the, the 900 ways Randy Moss had to beat you, whatever. It was feeling like that play. And you could get these awesome touchdowns. And so a lot of the highlights, like a lot, if you go watch like Randy Moss highlights, a ton of them are from his rookie year. Like, probably a disproportionate amount from his rookie year because that was the Randall Cunningham year. And then, you know, Culpepper kind of was able to do the same thing with him, and you got all kinds of sweet stuff. And, then, of course, Tom Brady later. But um, Cunningham's ability, all you had to do was get the ball to Randy Moss or to Chris Carter or to Robert Smith um, or to Jake Reed, right? Or, like, there's a stable of skill players for you. Um, that's all he had to do. And that, you know, that there's something to be said about taking a great player and giving him an easy job. He's going to be the best in the world at that job. I think about it, this was the other topic I was going to do for today. Maybe I'll do it next week. But think about it with Eric Hendricks this year, sort of in the same way. Like, he's taking over a job that historically in Fangio-style defenses has been done by undrafted guys, fourth-round picks, you know, that's kind of been a throwaway job. Um, and those guys lead the team in tackles, but it's a lot of see ball, get ball, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff setting it up to make that guy's job really easy, so kind of anyone can do it as long as you can chase a guy and you have decent tackling for him, and you can get a guy like that in the sixth round. That's not too much to ask. 
put an all-pro in there, like Eric Hendricks, and, well, I don't know what happens. Does the talent go to waste, or does it become something like, you know, did Randall Cunningham's talent go to waste, or did it become something bigger? Either way, this QB carousel, all these guys are really unique characters and and interesting people, and that's without even talking about Rich Gannon or Brad Johnson, who are interesting characters in and of themselves. And then after Randall Cunningham, Jeff George, fascinating character in and of himself, right? Unbelievably interesting career. Um, the, the, the 90s were kind of awesome for that reason. It was always a new guy to get hyped on, and Denny Green was always taking these old guys, these has-beens or, you know, guys nobody believed in, giving them a chance and making it to the playoffs every year. It's kind of what makes those 90s teams special. I'm going to talk to you a whole bunch more about them because I have a great childhood nostalgia for it, so you're going to deal with that, (laughs) but we will pick up all those conversations next week. Uh, Thanks so much for hanging out with me this week. I will be in the woods where I have fled to uh, for a couple more podcasts here, so we're going to get the uh, sultry whisper treatment a little bit more. Hope you guys are okay with that. I'll see y'all next week. And as always, Skull.